This is a special edition of the Abolish MKE podcast. Rather than an audio version of an article, we want to boost a powerful conversation that occurred recently in Milwaukee's abolitionist community. On Thursday, August 19th, the African American Roundtable hosted a Facebook Live conversation between Devin Anderson and Hiram Rivera called What is Black August? We're sharing the unedited audio of that conversation so that more people, especially those who don't use Facebook, I mean, face virus, I mean, whatever, can hear it. All right, all right, all right, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us if you're here with us right now. And we're excited to have you. Please share um, the video. I'm super excited to have this conversation with our comrade, Hybrid Rivera from the Community Resource Hub to really chat um, to first ground us in like what is Black August and like what like committing um, that struggle like means for us today and how that's going to move us closer to liberation. So I'm super excited. If you're here with us, like put in the chat, say hi, say what up, what's good. We're super excited to have you. And um, we're going to like, we're going to be getting into it. And I'm so, I'm super pumped for this conversation. So with that, um, for folks who don't know, my name is Devin Anderson. I am the membership and coalition manager with the African-American Roundtable. I'm super excited. Y'all get to see me back to back days. Super excited to move us through another uh, conversation. And today I'm joined by a comrade, Hiram Rivera from the Community Resource Hub. I'm gonna pass it to Hiram and let Hiram just say a little bit more about himself. Yeah, thanks Devin. Um, so like you said, I'm Hiram Rivera. Uh, my nine to five is the executive director of the Community Resource Hub for Safety and Accountability. Uh, we are a organization that provides research and technical assistance to organizations doing police reform work, police abolition, police transformation work across the country. Uh, my political work, I do it through the Malcolm X grassroots movement. So those are two organizations I represent. Here in the city of Philadelphia, uh, I'm raised in New Haven, Connecticut though. So I'm here on the East Coast and that's me. Yeah, um, super excited. Just like one more word about like, the resource hub, like I know for us, like the, the research y'all have done has supported like us and understanding and crafting demands and being able to navigate and move through demands. And so just like super grateful for that. But today we're here to talk about like Black August. And I feel like for me, I like honestly, I'm, I'm gonna admit it. Um, I really just like heard about Black August like last year. And like this year I'm like, you know, committing to reading a lot more and reading some really good stuff this month. Um, but for you, Hiram, like you talk about like, just what is Black August? Black August. Black August is a tradition that started in the California penal system back in 1979. Uh, some of the brothers from the Black Guerrilla family, uh, the Black Guerrilla family at the time started out as basically the Black Liberation Wing inside of the penal system in California, right? Started by George Jackson, who, for those of you who don't know, George Jackson was the field marshal for the Black Panther Party. George Jackson was born in Chicago, Illinois, but was raised in Los Angeles. And at 19 years old in uh, 1961, he got arrested for supposedly uh, robbing a gas station of, was, it was like $71, something like that, $17. Um, and was given a one to life sentence and ended up serving the rest of his life in prison 
um, George Jackson quickly, once he was sent to prison again for $71, given a life sentence for $71, when he's in there, he starts reading and studying, he starts studying Marx, he starts studying Mao and Lenin and Frantz Fanon and all of this stuff. And at the time, right, getting caught up in the, or being involved in the revolutionary moment of the 60s at that time, right? Joins the Black Panther Party, becomes a field marshal while inside the walls. During his time there, he wrote a book called Soledad Brother. He was a part of a very famous case with the Soledad Brothers, um, you know, brothers who were on the inside fighting against police brutality, fighting against the abuses of the correctional system, fighting for prisoners' rights, fighting against racism, right? And politicizing brothers, because the goal for all those brothers who were uh, with George and the ones who politicized George the goal was always to transform the criminal mentality, right, of those who were behind the walls, the supposed criminal mentality, to a revolutionary one, right? And they felt that they could take those brothers who society had forgotten about, who had given up on, who for whatever reason ended up behind the walls, and could transform them into a revolutionary force that could fight ultimately for uh, Black liberation and join basically the worldwide revolution that was happening in Latin America, in the Caribbean, Africa, and Asia at the time. And so to fast forward, um, because of his organizing, because of, of the work that George was doing, the impact he was having not only inside of the prison, but also outside of the prison and around the world through his writings, through his teachings. You know, he wrote another book called Blood in My Eye, which is, for all intents and purposes, a field man, right? A, a field guide for how to, how to mount armed resistance and armed struggle, armed revolution here in the United States. Um, George was murdered by the California penal system. So August 21st, 1971, George Jackson was murdered, right? Um, George Jackson was murdered basically a day, a couple of days after his younger brother, Jonathan Jackson, was also murdered by the state, right? And so Jonathan at the time was 16, 17 years old um, when, you know, he, 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 got, he got some weapons and ran into the Marin County Courthouse to try to free the three brothers who were comrades of George, right? And to free them in an attempt to ultimately free his brother who he idolized and he loved dearly. Um, the police in turn shot Jonathan, shot the prisoners, shot the hostages who happened, one of them happened to be a judge, the judge from that case and just killed everybody because that's, that's what the police do. Um, after that, they ended up killing George. Fast forward to 1979, the brothers who were politicized by George, who followed George, who were members of George's Black guerrilla family, um, then create Black August as a moment to commemorate the lives, the deaths, the sacrifices, and the contributions that those brothers and many other brothers across the penal system in the United States had contributed to the Black liberation movement, right? Um, had contributed to the prisoners' rights movement. And ultimately, the beginnings of what we now understand to be the prison and carceral abolition movement, right? And so what they did was, and, and not just George and, and Jonathan, but they, they honored the, uh, the other brothers who were martyred behind the walls as well, right? Um, Katari Golden, Alvin Miller, uh, James McClain, W.L. Nolan, Cleveland Edwards, uh, William Christmas, right? Um, these are the brothers who, who ultimately become the martyrs of Black August and who are to be celebrated. After 1979, right, as Black August goes through, through the penal system, um, 
it gets taken outside the prison walls and because becomes something that activists across the country also start to commemorate, right? And that work was primarily held through the New African People's Organization, the Malcolm X Grassroots Movement, and the Black August Organizing Committee, right? So that these brothers' contributions and their lives and their sacrifices are never forgotten, right? These martyrs in the Black liberation struggle are never forgotten simply because they're behind the wall, simply because they're prisoners that society has thrown away and forgotten, right? And the way that they do this and the way that you commemorate Black August and the way that you you remember them and honor these sacrifices is one to fast, right? So the brothers behind the walls and those of us who, who commemorate um, outside of it, who observe Black August outside, fast from sunup to sundown. So it's usually about 6 a.m. to 8 p.m. It's no food, it's no water, you don't consume anything, right? As a physical sacrifice in honor and solidarity, the sacrifices that those brothers made. Um, you commit to study, right? So you are asked not to watch trash TV, not to listen to the radio, not to indulge in like entertainment, but to use this month to really focus and study, right? Read political texts, read history, sharpen your mind. Um, you're asked to train, physically train, right? We understand that we are in a fight, we are in a war. Black people have been in a war since the time they brought us in the boats over to the so-called new world, right? And so that your body's gotta be right, your mind's gotta be right, everything's gotta be sharp and on point if we want to gain true uh, black liberation um and then the last one is fight right fast study train fight get involved in the struggle right this country is not going to give us our freedom this country is never going to respect us this country is never going to give us our right it's never going to do right by us as black people as as brown people as red people as non-white as poor people right and so you got to get involved in the fight you got to get involved in the struggle um give up liquor, give up weed, give up all those things for, for August and use August to recommit to our Black liberation struggle, sharpen your mind, sharpen your body, um, and get with it. Thanks for that, Hiram. One question we already got um, is like, for somebody who's trying to educate themselves on this, like, are there some texts, some books that you would suggest? Yeah, so on Black August specifically, um, you know, the Black August Organizing Committee, they have a website, a really great website that has a lot of history on this, on, on the brothers that I mentioned, um, just on the history of Black August and all that. Black August, the text that we always read for Black August is always George Jackson, right? Black August begins with George Jackson. It rests with George Jackson. Um, and so I would say Soledad Brother. If you haven't read Soledad Brother, I would say Blood in My Eye. If you haven't read Blood in My Eye, um, other texts, I would say, you know, anything that, that, that is really going to help sharpen and develop your mind politically, right, historically, um, so that you're able to engage in the fight in the way that, that we need everybody. So another great book that is read on, on during Black August is Franz Fanon's Wretched of the Earth, right? Um, I think for me, those three right there, Soledad Brother, Blood in My Eye. Wretched the Earth is kind of like the Holy Trinity uh, for Black August study. Yeah, I'm, um, I just got blood in my eye. I'm super excited to dig in over the next couple of weeks um, to that. Hiram, you know, one of the things 
like last year we heard defund the police as a demand and like yes we have to defund the police we didn't hear as much activism in the moment like right i'm not saying it wasn't there but like talking about like the institutions of prisons like prisons and like what was happening in the middle of a pandemic as COVID's ravaging. Why is it important for us not to forget like folks on the inside and are in our struggles and like in this moment? Um, Black August reminds us not only the folks on the inside, right? Those, those, so first and foremost, we understand that folks go to prison because of political reasons, right? Yes. And Black August is primarily is 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 one to remember the martyrs who I mentioned right from the from the prison struggle. But it's also to remember our political prisoners, right? Yeah. Still behind the walls, right? And so there is no Black August commemoration that does not center our political prisoners. If they do not talk about political prisoners, if they're not centering the political prisoners, it's not Black August. I don't care who does it. I don't care what is happening that's not black August, right and so to answer your question directly why should we not forget the folks behind the walls we shouldn't forget the folks behind the walls because we understand that everybody who is in prison technically is a political prisoner right yeah um because the reasons why a lot of folks end up going into prison specifically poor people black people brown people are because of the consequences of poverty right because the actions they have taken as a means of survival because of their underdevelopment, right? Um, from unemployment, lack of adequate housing, schools, breakdowns in our families, um, a lot of like the influx of drugs into our communities, all these things that are not by accident, the redlining of our neighborhoods, all these things that are not by accident, right? And so when we see crime or criminalized behavior in our communities, when we see the violence, right? That doesn't happen because black people and brown people are just inherently savage and inherently just out of control, right? It happens because they're, they're in, the institutions of these United States, right? The state that we live in, the United States, the institutions that exist, exist to oppress us as, as poor people, exist to oppress us as non-white as non-white folks, right? Um, that is a whole point of the United States. That is a whole purpose of the state itself. Right, it's class domination of one class, the bourgeois, the, the upper class, the rich, right? The Elon Musk, the, the, the Rothschilds, all these folks, right? Um, oppress everybody else. It's the only reason why your state and countries exist in the way they do, right? Is to have this class struggle. And so we can't forget those folks behind the walls, right? Because they are the victims, the, 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 the ultimate victims of that class struggle, the ultimate victims of that class violence, of that state violence, of that state oppression. We can't forget our political prisoners, right? Those, and, and, and to be very clear, the difference between the two is that political prisoners, right? Political prisoners are those individuals who are incarcerated because of their minds and mm. their actions, right? They're incarcerated because of their politics and the actions they took as a result because of their politics, right? So we're talking about the Black Liberation Army. We're talking about the FALA, we're talking about Puerto Ricans. We're talking about the Weather Underground, we're talking about the white folks. You're talking about uh, the American uh, Indian movement, you're talking about Native folks, right? These are folks who understood their colonial status inside the United States. They understood their oppressed position in this society. They understood their, their oppressed class status in these United States and decided to try to do something about it, right? And oftentimes that meant taking up arms and meant actively engaging in a fight against the repressive system that is the United States of America. And for those reasons, they're put in prison. And that is why they're referred to as political prisoners. And I said, all prisoners are in there because of politics. Political prisoners are in there because their crimes or their actions 
were purely political. They weren't acts of trying to survive poverty. They weren't, you know, that. There were conscious decisions made to fight ultimately for the liberation of their people and the liberation of all oppressed people around the world. And so our movements today cannot forget them. Yeah. Not forget them because there has been no liberatory movement, no revolutionary movement in the history of the world that has ever succeeded by leaving their folks behind. Right? These these are our are thinkers, these are our generals, these are the folks who who have sacrificed everything on our behalf, right? And, and paid the ultimate price for us. And there is no liberation collectively by leaving all of them behind the walls. We understand that prisons are legalized slavery. We understand that prisons exist, right? Because it is where the legalized slavery under the 13th Amendment of the United States is allowed to happen, right? It is where profit can be made, right? The, the, the extraction, the exploitation of labor can be made. So when you're, you know, your, your mattresses and your Victoria's Secrets and your, you name the company, right? They use prison labor. When you're talking about California and all of California is on fire, right? The ones who fight those fires are prisoners, right? The firefighters you see on TV when Northern California is on fire blazing, it looks like it's hell on earth. Those are prisoners who fight those fires, right? And then are returned back to prison when those fires are done, right? It is exploitative, it is, it is oppressive, it is slavery, and those institutions also have to be destroyed if we're gonna talk about collective liberation for all of us. And so for those of us who are doing that work today, we have to understand that and never forget those brothers and sisters who are still trapped behind the walls. Yeah, John, I'm not gonna say his last name right. Cool, Kolechi. I wanna celebrate brothers rights and and uh, they, come in, they come in the morning. Today's, like, again, highlighting what Hiram says, today's prison system should be abolished because it is a system pre-designed and constructed to warehouse the people underdeveloped and lower economic, economical um, communities. Again, to Hiram's point, prisons are warehousing people, like, right, poor people, black people, and brown people. And then they're using, they're using the labor to, to continue to exploit our communities. Um, thank you bankrupt you for our schools, right? You bankrupt our schools, you make healthcare unaffordable, you, you gentrification, you make rents too high, there's not enough jobs, COVID hits and everything goes great, right? And folks are just left. We're going through a whole eviction wave that's gonna start happening if it hasn't started already, right? And then you punish people for trying to survive by any means they can. Right, and that's all that is intentional. All of it is intentional. I'm super like you brought it up in your response. You talked about the state, and I want to just like hang out here, and like people are gonna say we're going in and doing too much. But you know, Mark Lamont Hill's book, uh, which a group of us read earlier this year, Hiram talked like read it, talked about it. But in the book, Mark Lamont Hill, for me, like opened my eyes. He said, "Nation states, by definition, are violent." I was like, "Whoa!" I, I like I'd never thought like uh, that. And then um, he, he quotes Malcolm X. Uh, Malcolm X fundamental question is who is worthy of dispensing and receiving violence? And right, and what we know from, from the last year is that the state wants to be the sole proprietor of people who can use violence. They will kill you, <laughs> they will tear gas you, they will bu rebel bullet you. That's right. And they'll do it with impunity. That's right. And then you like anybody does anything. That's right. Right. You fight back. 
you see that tear gas land near your feet, you throw it back at, at them, you're arrested, you're criminalized. Can you chat about like nation states, like like nation states by design and just like the inherent, like just chat a little bit more about the inherent violence of it all. So the state has a monopoly on violence, right? The state's violence is always legal, right? The police can do whatever they want to. The military can do whatever they want to, right? The instant you do anything back, you the one that's in trouble. You the one that's to go to jail, right? Again, all that's in, in intentional. Why? The state exists, like I said, to, to, to create class contradictions, right? It is, it is to maintain the dominance of one class over the other. Right. This is why you have the institutions. This is why you have courts. This is why you have prisons. This is why you have uh, all these different systems, right? The tentacles of the state, right? It's schools, it's universities, it's, it's libraries, it's hospitals, everything, everything exists to maintain class domination of the ruling class, right? We're talking about the ruling class, we're talking about the folks who, who basically own everything, right? They own everything we wear, everything we use, everything we, you know, you go to work, is owned by somebody. Those machines, those factories, those resources is owned by somebody, right? We can name some of them, right? You're talking about the, the Walton family from the Walmart, you got the Elon Musk, right? You got the Rothschilds family, you got all this stuff. It's not Illuminati crazy stuff like, like you'll hear sometimes, it's actual people, it's real people, right? They're the ruling class. They decide what we learn in school. They decide what the news says on TV. They decide where you work, when you work, if you work. They decide whether we go back to work during a pandemic or not, right? They control everything. Then there's everybody else, that working class at the bottom. Basically folks who live check to check that if you lost your job today, right? Are you gonna be in some serious trouble? If you are, you are part of that, that group, the exploited group, right? The state with its institutions, like I said, all these little institutions exist so that this group up here can keep making money off this group down here, right? It's no accident why we're in a pandemic and during this pandemic, all of these folks doubled their billions of dollars, almost tripled their billions of dollars. When everybody else can't go to work, is being kicked out of their homes, right? Is kids can't go to school, right? Everything is messed up. These folks are somehow still making billions of dollars because of that exploitation, right? When you wanna go take, let's take Afghanistan for instance, right? Because the United States, that state structure then takes that class domination and it, it, it takes it across the world, right? So through its military, through that monopoly on violence, it uses its military, so the United States uses its military to then take this exploitation, right? And, and, and export it across the world. So now we have all of our materials and stuff coming from right, all the different places. Our iPhones are coming from materials from the Congo, right? The, the, the bottled water is coming from is coming from Fiji, right? Nestle's uh, chocolates, they're coming from Africa, right? The oil is coming from the Middle East, right? Every time the United States goes to war is to steal somebody's natural resources so that these folks over here can keep making millions of dollars. 20 years in Afghanistan, we see on the news the terror and the horror that is happening right now in, in, in Kabul and in Afghanistan. Right, and we say 20 years for what? What do we do there? In those 20 years, the folks, the military industrial complex, right? The weapons creators, the folks, the Halliburtons, the, the Boeings, the Lockheed Martins, all these folks have made double, tripled billions of dollars off of that 20, right? And so when you ask the question, what's the role of the nation state? The nation state is to ensure that class divide, to ensure those class contradictions, right? The exploitation, of the rich or the poor and to use their monopoly on violence, their organized bodies of men, their police, their national guard, their coast guard, their military, 
every other motherfucker with a badge, right? To make sure they beat us down and keep us in line, right? And we don't get too far out of hand to disrupt what they're doing here in this country and the same thing across the globe. Like, Hiram again, thank you. I'm like, no. But just to highlight one last thing, that right. Yeah. And then what they do is, then what they do is through their schools, through their media, through their movies, through their video games, through their their, their their Olympics, right? Through their sports, all of it, they make it feel like we all in this together. They make it feel like it is your duty, it is your patriotic duty to go along with not only your own exploitation and violence, right? But the exploitation of other people around the world, right? That you are not being a true American if you if, if you are not going along with this, if you're pushing back against that. And this is why when you say defund the police, how dare you try to defund or shrink that piece of our armed body of, 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 of men, right? That's anti-American. That goes, it is anti-American because America only exists to exploit. America only exists to murder kill, maim, and exploit. It's the only reason why there's United States of America, right? It lives on, on, on the bodies and the labor of Black people from its very inception all the way to 2021, right? On the bodies and the murder of, of Native people and everybody else, right, who can't afford to live in some mansion in the hills somewhere. Yeah. Hiram talked about, like, right, how we've seen over the course of this pandemic, billionaires become richer. I just want to put a point on it. This is like, again, this is a year old data, but it says in early 2020, the same month, which 20 million Americans have filed for unemployment, U.S. billionaires grew their wealth by nearly 10% or $3.2 trillion. So that's like just in the first month of the pandemic, as like folks are literally struggling and folks are dying and like the hospital system can't, can't handle it like can't like legit can't support it the richest people grew their wealth by 3.2 trillion dollars I, I barely can get that number out and then i just want to like again people will say hiram's talking too much blah, blah, blah. but like we can think about all the things hiram said how we see the police show up in our everyday lives one activity we have people do sometimes when we're doing pe and other things is just name all the places you see a police all of them all of the places you see them. Hiram talked about the schools. You'll see them at the library. You'll see them at the hospital. You'll see them at the Target and the Walmart. You'll see them at the pick and save. You'll see them at the shopping mall, right? You'll see them on the corner. You'll see them patrolling the streets. Again, that right there is telling you they are, the state is using its power, its muscle. I think Alex, um, who I met from Acre says, Police are the muscle of racial capitalism. It's using its muscle, literally, to keep us keep us in order, to keep us in check. They don't want us going anywhere without right. seeing them. In that order, police only exist to protect private property and maintain the order of the state. That's it. That's all they do. Police don't stop crime. Police don't prevent crime. At most, what they do is they'll come after the fact that the crime has already happened and maybe arrest somebody. Most of the time, just beat everybody else up right, because they got nothing else to do. Um, but the police exist to protect private property and maintain the order of the state, which is why they're in all these different institutions to make sure that that's ingrained in our minds, right, and embedded in our minds, right, um, that we can't think anything beyond that, right? Yeah. Hey, um, last year, when, when we had this, 
we had you on and we had a conversation. We're in a moment of rebellion. I don't exactly remember, but like, right, it could have been literally the days after the police shot uh, Jacob Blake in the back, just in Kenosha, um, in, a, in the middle of a moment of like rebellion and across the country. You know, this moment, and like last year, like right, defunded abolition um, was penetrating almost like so many spaces, mainstream media and penetrating. This moment feels slightly different and it feels different for a lot of reasons, right? We might, we have a new administration who, who might not say, like might not say or, or do things that are as, uh, as crazy and out there and vitriolic or as the previous administration, but their actions are still harming and killing people, right? Um, and we're trying, we're seeing an expansion in some ways of like not only policing, but just criminalization and a repression in some states. Um, you know, I know Florida folks at Dream Defenders fight really hard against anti-protester bills that DeSantis is passing and anti-defund bills here in Wisconsin. The legislature is trying to like take money away from cities that actually defund the police. Hiram, can you just like chat about like, just provide some of your thoughts on like the moment we're in today? Yeah, the moment we're in today is definitely a response to last summer, right? And there are always gonna be these moments of, of uh, blowback, rupture, fight back, right? When the folks, when the oppressed just can't, can't take it, right? And again, these are lessons that, a lot of these lessons you know, come back. One thing about Black August, right, and 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 the thing that to to keep Black August centered here, right, is that Black August is a month that has so much Black resistance history. Every single day in the month of August, you can find some sort of uh, uh, Black, you know, Black resistance struggle, be it the Haitian Revolution right, be it the birth of the Honorable Marcus Garvey, right, be it, uh, you know, Nat Turner's Rebellion, right, I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on. Um, Chairman Fred was born in, in, in August, right, George Jackson was killed in, in August, um, the Underground Railroad starts August 1st, right, the Watts, riot, the Watts Rebellion is in August, right, I mean, you can just keep going, the month of August is, is this unique time of the year where a lot of Black liberation and Black resistance is housing. Black August is not another Black History Month, right? It's not to be compared with that. It's not a Black History Month, but it is something that needs to be understood and celebrated, right? Um, and so what does that mean? Last summer, we saw the streets on fire. Every city was on fire. There were cop cars burning everywhere, police stations burning everywhere because the people were fed up, right? Folks are tired of seeing Black people executed on TV every single day. Folks are tired of seeing Black people executed uh, and no justice ever happening again since the days we came to this wretched land, right? There's never been a moment in the history of this disgusting empire where Black people have not been just murdered and just in the most gruesome, disgusting ways, right, with impunity. And people get tired of that. People get tired of that. And so you saw a lot of rebellions and you saw a lot of cities on fire, right? And a lot of folks fight back the way they fight back, right? And, and to each their own, whatever is your, is, is your thing, you, you, you go, right? Um, and you saw the state start to like respond to that and change to that. And there were some things that were one, right? Because the conditions changed, 
Folks weren't just rallying outside no more. Folks weren't just marching anymore. Folks weren't just calling and begging their, 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 their politicians to please, please, please vote for it, right? They weren't doing all that. They were taking situations down with hands. What happens now is you have a pandemic, everyone goes inside. A lot of that momentum dies down because you just can't be outside, right? The people are dying. Um, Donald Trump is gone, right? And so we get lulled with that. It's the vote blue no matter who, right? Anything but Donald Trump. This is the most important election of our time. I've been hearing that since Bill Clinton. I've been hearing that, right? I'm 44. I've been hearing that since Ronald Reagan. It's the same damn thing. Every election is the most important election of our time, right? Um, but what happens is, is that then you get lulled to sleep and here come these folks and they start passing these legislations, right? They roll out Barack Obama to say, oh, defund is scaring people, right? They start using the, the again, the unfortunate reality of violence in our communities, violence in our cities, right? And this increase in violence after people have been inside for so long, they're being evicted, they've lost their jobs, there's no way to like feed your families if you are a part of that working poor, poor, extremely poor during this pandemic, right? And they start to blame it on the activists. They start to blame it on defund. When we know damn well, right, that the reason why your raggedy ass job laid you off or doesn't want to pay you to stay home or why this raggedy ass government who can find trillions of dollars to bail out banks in 2009, who can find hundreds of millions of dollars to send your sons and daughters to get blown up halfway across the world, who can find billions of dollars to keep giving more money to billionaires, can't pay folks one living wages or even pay folks money to stay home. They tell you to stay home, don't go outside, but they don't give you no money. And they're going to tell you, we're going to start evicting your asses in September. We're going to start evicting you out your home because you haven't been able to pay rent because, again, your raggedy-ass job is closed, right, or it laid you off. And then they blame that on defund, right? And then they blame that, and they use that tactic, and they use the fear, and they scare people. Oh, you want them boys on the corner shooting up the place to come after you next? What's going to happen, huh, if there's no police? Ain't no police now. Ain't no police now. Them boys been shooting. They've been shooting since the 80s. Police budgets keep going up. Please go. If you take all the police budgets, right? All the police budgets in, in these United States and you combine them, the police budget is the fifth largest military budget in the world. The United States is number one. The United States police departments collectively would come in at number five. We've been giving y'all money. Keep giving you money, yet the crime don't change. Something's not adding up, right? Something's not adding. In the meantime, my kids' schools still don't have books or heat, right? You're talking about a city of Philadelphia where the schools don't have heat. They don't have air conditioning. They still got asbestos in the walls. You know, you got, I used to run a youth organization. And up until 2017, I had young people whose history books still said Bill Clinton was the president here in the city of Philadelphia, right? The fifth largest city in the United States. How was that possible? But then you're going to blame the protests. You're going to blame activists. You're going to blame defund for everything that the state is doing, Devin, what you had just clearly laid out, right? The 10% increase in their billions of dollars. They run that game on folks and they use fear and they scare people right into believing this nonsense. The other major piece here is the role of the police unions, right? The police unions are heavy into lobbying our elected officials into ensuring that those budgets don't shrink, right? Police unions are 
big into creating that fear mongering through the corporate media, through the press, right? That's gonna keep showing you images of all kinds of criminals and all kinds of bad stuff. And that's all they show you to think, right? That things are a whole lot worse than what they are to then justify giving the police more and more money. And it's not just more money, also give them military weapons. We're now we're at this place where the organized bodies of men of the state, right? that monopolized violence, you can't tell the difference between who's a damn soldier and who's a damn cop, because at this point, they're both the same person, right? And the same people who are occupying Baghdad and who are occupying Kabul, Afghanistan, and who are occupying in Syria and Libya and Somalia and every other yeah across the world, right? Are the same motherfuckers who are occupying our neighborhoods. And they don't want you to put those links together. They don't want you to question that. And the ones who understand that very clearly, going back again to Black August, has always been those brothers and sisters behind the walls, the legal slaves, right? The most exploited of the exploited in this settler empire, right? Because they experience that violence firsthand and that exploitation, that slavery firsthand. And they articulate that and give it back to us outside. Sorry, sorry, I couldn't find the unmute button. I'm just like, like this moment is like, it's just reminding me of like what, what James Baldwin writes in his opening letter to Angela Davis. He says, um, for if they come for you in the morning, they'll be coming for us that night. And like, and so like, and I say that to say like, whatever, like they're gonna, they're, what they're trying in Florida, these anti, um, protest bills and all this stuff they're going to try here next and so it's like super important in this moment to be connected and have solidarity with folks leading like these fights like across the country because the state is fighting back and like like right they're talking to each other we can't be so shallow to believe they're not talking to each other so they're getting together every year at their conferences and donors and in big wigs houses and mansions in the hills soon they're going to be getting together on their trip to space exactly. <laughs> they're going to be ch chatting about it they're going to be saying how can we how can we how can we uh, solidify this structure how can we solidify our muscle and so it's like i'm super like cautious i'm like i'm super just like in this moment, thinking about that, if they come, if, if they come for you in the morning, they're coming. They're going to take me by the neck. That's right on, right? That's that that is that is spot on in, in in the whole space thing, right? I have lost during this COVID year, in a matter of four months, I've lost six people. Yeah. You ask folks, right? They're going to name off people they lost too soon, too soon, and we carry that, right? And we and we carry that 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 pain. Why are we all in here suffering, burying our dead, trying to figure out what's gonna happen to our babies? What are we doing? Are we gonna stay? These motherfuckers are blasting off to space because they got extra money to do that. And it's all just fun and games to them, right? The ex our exploitation is fun and games to them, right? Our lives don't mean anything to them. They're gonna be coming for us. The vice president, right, Kamala Harris, not too long ago was, uh, I forgot where she was at. She was giving a speech and she says, right? This is a quote. She says, for decades, wars have been fought over oil. It's the first time a vice president or any elected official has admitted that the wars have been purely for oil, right? She says, for decades, wars have been fought for oil. They're gonna now be fought for water, right? 
these corporations, these people have, have destroyed the environment so much yeah. that the vice president of the United States openly said that they're going to start fighting wars for water, to steal people's water. Because somehow the water is running out. Right? We see Flint, Michigan. Right? We see what they do to our neighborhoods. What they do to people across the world, they'll do to us here. And they have done to us here. And they perfected it on us here. Right? Specifically perfected it on Black people here in this country. And then went and did it to folks across the globe. Right. And so what does that mean? Going back to your question around this moment, in this moment, when we see that the state it is a victory, when the president of the United States has to come out and start passing federal laws, trying to pass federal law against defund, it means that all of you organizers have won and you are winning. Right. When the state has to go out of its way to try to push back and stop you, it's because gains are being made. Right. They'll lie to you and tell you that our communities don't want that and that the people don't believe you and the people don't trust you. Right. But those are victories when your enemies, when your targets are moving their resources that much. Right. Is because they're concerned. But again, to your point as well, they're always talking and they're always planning. Right. And the ruling class, the rich, the federal government, all these folks, they've always got plans for us 20, 30, 50, 60 years down the road. We are always playing catch up. We're always responding or reacting to what they do, right? We got to start planning ahead, right? Our organizations now, you know, movement right now is confined to the nonprofit industrial yeah. company, right? And I'm a director of a nonprofit. I've been director of two nonprofits. So I understand that. What I understand is that our nonprofit organizations are not the containers that can hold the level of politic and fight that is needed, right? To ultimately burn this plantation down and free all of us because we are still bound to the foundations and the big money that gives us our money to do what we do. A lot of good work can come through nonprofit, but we need our independent political organizations. We need to take our politics and stop thinking within that nonprofit sort of like, I need to run a campaign in this year cycle because that's what I got funding for and start really thinking politically, understanding class, yeah. understanding materialism, right? Understanding imperialism, understanding, you know, going through the process of praxis, right? Where we think of something, we put it into action, we try it, you reevaluate it, see what works, see what didn't work, and then go back again, building organizations, organizing with our people, not getting too caught up with celebrity and the visibility and who's going to be the person who gets to talk on CNN or who gets invited to the Grammys or who gets, you know, say a million dollars or whatever, right? We need to really reground ourselves in a different type of politic and a different type of organizational structure, right? That is going to create the conditions, going to create the organized bodies to be able to fight back right? Yeah. And win the revolution that we need. Because what we end up having and what we end up doing as nonprofits and stuff is we end up taking a lot of social justice stuff, civil rights stuff, we wrap it up in revolutionary language and give it back to the people as if that's revolution. And it's not. And that's how we keep getting beat back. You can win some elections. Cool. Right? You can win some laws. Cool. Somebody else will just come and just undo that and, and pass it. What we need is, is, is revolution. And that's something very different. And just to define, it, to, to define it real quick, right? When I say revolution, revolution is defined by dictionary. It's a forcible overthrow of a government or social order in favor of a new system. 
This is George Jackson. This is Franz Fanon. Yeah. Right? It is the vibe. This is Malcolm X. This is Queen Mother Moore. Right? This, this, this is the forcible overthrow of a government. So therefore, a revolutionary, right, is a person who works for or engages in that political work of revolution. This is why you don't forget the brothers and sisters behind the walls. Yeah. All they have is the fight. Right? There is no sort of middle ground where they can get paid. Well, I got a nicer cell than the folks down, you know, in the cell block below me. And so it don't work like that. It don't work like that, right? And, and it is a collective organizing of all of our people. It's gonna take everybody to be able to do this, right? And this is what George Jackson was preaching. This is what George Jackson, you know, a George Jackson quote um, that I love is, he says, discover your humanity and your love of revolution, right? Read Fonce Fanon. Everybody who's listening in, in YouTube world, Facebook world, wherever I'm at, right? Read France Fanon, right? Fanon teaches us that, that it is through that fight, it's through that struggle where we regain our humanity. This yeah. system, the person that you talked about, right? That the state that you talked about, Devin, in the beginning has dehumanized us, has dehumanized our people. We don't understand who we are anymore. We don't understand our culture. You know, our, we are so just wrapped up and just trying to survive this madness that we don't know who we are. We've been so dehumanized. And it's through that fight. And this is what we saw last year in those struggles. Why did they go out there and fight in the streets the way they did? Why did so many people take to the streets last summer the way they did? Because they found their humanity in that. For anyone out there who took part in those actions, you know that for the first time, for a lot of us, for the first time in your life, you felt alive, right? You were fighting for your life. You were fighting for the future of, of yourself, your family, your children. You felt alive. Find your humanity in that struggle. Find your humanity in that fight. This is why we fast, this is why we study, this is why we train, right? Because that fight, and that's where you're gonna find that humanity and that dignity and that love for revolution, right? And not just the love for revolution, but the love for everybody else. Where you're able to see your life, your happiness, your future in the eyes of somebody else, right? I fight because I see my freedom inside of you, Deb. Yes. I fight because I see it inside of, uh, right? And I fight because I see it inside of all of us. Yeah. That can't happen through a nonprofit. We do what we do, but we also have to be very honest, right? Because we can also undermine that process if we're confusing the people and claim that what we do is revolution when it's not. Revolution is something else. Yeah. And it's beautiful. It ain't this. Yeah. Um... I totally agree. And yeah, thank you for, for that. So my last question, and we'll move to, to wrap. You know, Hiram, you talked about it. You talked about like, right, and I, I totally agree. Like organizers, defund organizers, folks who took the street have to claim it is a victory when they, they have to send, like you said, federal law, like, right, they're trying to hire, and we're still fighting, but they're trying to hire 100,000 new cops across the country. That, right and they have to send obama to lecture us like like he could like they're like he's literally like probably like right if i don't know probably the most popular politician right in the united states in this moment 
So we we pushed them back to where they're like, we first we gotta send you out, Obama. You gotta say some nice words. You gotta try to calm these people down. They're your people, allegedly. We're not. <laughs> and then then they're like, oh wait, like they're, they're still going. We're gonna have to take federal action. But for somebody, they might they might take that as like we're losing. Right. And I was just talking with some comrades yesterday during a meeting who asked this question, like, like how how do people like keep up, like keep their morale up and keep like the, the spirit up in moments when it, it feels tough? And I and I'll answer a little bit. Yeah. I think for me, like one of one piece is is like everything you said. And like also the ways in which we're politicizing people like right the round table wouldn't have had this conversation about right. black august uh, two years ago right right and so we're bringing like hiram who's who's stretching our analysis even within this call who's again highlighting yes like nonprofits can do dope work and they do good work but then this ain't the end game like right like and so right. he's stretching our analysis so for me like we're moving closer like to sharpening our analysis i also just like think about like all the people like over the last two years, we've been able to engage and have conversations with. Yep. Who now like in space, when like back in the day, I would go tabling and literally 75, 80% of the people would be like, what are we gonna do? What are we gonna do? How, how are we gonna take money from the police in my communities? And now it's like sort of the reverse where most of the people are like, yes. They've been, they're seeing the politicization and they're like, yeah, actually, you know, the police did X, Y, and Z, and this is why we need to take money. Well, actually, I went to the library because I wanted to get a, a new book. I wanted to pick up Blood in My Eyes, and actually the library was closed because they got their hours cut. And so we're seeing that piece, but like, how do, but to you, so like, that's how I would answer it. But for you, it's like, yeah, how do we stay encouraged and not settle into maybe to running campaigns or, or, or um, you know, that are quote unquote winnable. How do we like keep like these bold visionary campaigns going? I think, I think, I mean, you, you, you answered a lot of it. Um, one of those things, and especially during this COVID time is to not isolate yourself, right? Um, talk to each other, talk to the people, right? Um, study, right? Read, 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 read. Right, read, read, and I'm not talking about read fairy tale books. I'm talking about read, right, like political books, historical books, right, that can help you with your analysis and, and put all this stuff in its in its proper context, right? Together with your organization studying. So the Black August conversations that the African American Roundtables had, the the analysis that you all have done of your own defund campaigns from a couple of years ago, right? Together helps you give that analysis for you to be able to put your work in its proper context in the moment that we're, we're in today, right? Um, you have to understand that change doesn't come overnight. It has to be fought for. It has to be fought for, right? It doesn't come overnight. And that we do continue to progress and we do continue to win, right? And this has to be celebrated because for those of us who've been doing this work a lot, right? We get so caught up that things become second nature to us, rallying, protesting, organizing, fighting, become second nature. This is kind of like, whatever, I'm looking at the, at, at the end game. Yeah. But the folks who are organizing, you're asking them to do something they've never done in their life. Yeah. Asking them to do something they've never been asked to do before in their life. Yeah. Show up to a rally, a protest where there's going to be police at, right? Maybe speak to an elected official. All of those are victors. If you can get someone who's done it for the first time and comes back and still doing it, 
that gets celebrated as well, right? You celebrate that and you keep building on it and build the morale of, of our folks. Claim those victories, right? Study together, uh, build together, organize together, right? Claim all those, those, those little victories that, that, that you have won and put it in its context to understand that those little victories are gonna grow into bigger victories eventually, right? And keep the faith and be honest. Yo, if you're getting burnt out, if, if, if you're losing the faith or whatever, tell folks, right? If someone's gonna pick you up, trust in the people you with. Trust in that love. You be good to the hood, the hood will be good to you, right? And they're gonna pick you up. They're gonna pick you up. Um, I think you already laid out a whole bunch of a lot of you know, stuff that you talked about, but what I will say again is step outside of the nonprofit yeah. space to be able to do this political work, this historical work, so you can really understand the context and the moment that we're in and put these victories in their proper context. And then you'll see where the victories are. You're gonna see where the beautiful moments are at. And you're gonna be able to highlight those for the people, right? And build with it. And the folks will surprise you, man. That's the best thing about organizing is when you're meeting new people and, and you're out there working with, with the folks, you know, and working with them side by side. Man, the most beautiful conversations, the most beautiful individuals, the most beautiful moments come just from that. And so whenever you need that pick me up, go back to the people. Yeah. Um, so we're going to begin to move to a close. Hiram, like, yeah, can you put the link and I'll try to get it over to the comments, um, to the, um, the website you talked about um, with Black August resources on it. I'm going to try to transfer it over quickly. Um, yeah, it's, it's if, if I don't have the link going right now, but if you go to the uh, Black August Organizing Committee, Right, so if you Google Black August Organizing Committee, okay. um, it'll it'll come up. And then the other one is the Malcolm X Grassroots Movement. And so if you look at those two organizations, the Black August stuff will come up. All right. Um, yes, yes, yes to everything around that. And just like again, like I've been excited to have this conversation uh, for a long time. It's like for me, it's like one of the the highlights. I get to do a lot of stuff. But this, like things like this, is, is super can I, fun. Can I, can I say one more thing about the about the joy piece? Yes. And because of Black August and folks are asking about Black August again. Black August is about our political prisoners, right? And we have about there's about ten to twelve of them, former Black Panthers, former Black Liberation Army members who are still behind the walls. These brothers are serving sentences um, that are already exceeding forty and some fifty years, right? These are brothers who are in their 70s already. They are suffering COVID. Some of them have cancer, either terminal cancer or cancer that can turn terminal very quickly. The state is, is, is hell-bent on making sure that these brothers die in prison. I'm talking about Matulu Shakur, uh, Sundiata Akoli, Rochelle McGee, uh, uh, Jalil Alamin, right? Um, uh, Mumia Abu Jamal, yeah, right. Jojo Bowen, right. Um, we got to bring our people home, right. And some of the things you can do is if you go to the National Jericho Movement, right. So again, folks, if you Google the National Jericho Movement, right, they have the list of the names of all our political prisoners. Write them a letter. This August, write them a letter. You can send them letters and they'll write you back. You wanna talk about joy. What has always brought me joy is getting a letter back from one of these prisoners, 
right? Um, and they talk about how they are still resistant. They have been in solitary confinement. They have been tortured. They have had their families taken away from them. They've seen their comrades murdered in the street, right? They, they, they've been, I mean, in, imagine you're in prison for 50 years. 50 years, elderly, right? Senior citizens. And their spirits are still high. They're still committed to the struggle. And not only that, but they're also proud of all the work that we do out here. Right? They're proud of people like you, Devin, young people like you, Devin, right? who are still continuing the fight, right? That it shows that no matter what these devils do, right? They can't overcome us, right? That no matter what these devils do in this 6,000 year curse that we live under, right? The devil can never conquer us, right? And they're a the shining example that Asada Shakur, who is in Cuba, she's not a political prisoner, but she's in exile, who would love to come home but can't get a $2 million bounty on her head, dead or alive, for fighting for me and you. Fighting so that we can do this today. And so, so, so I ask everyone who's watching, please, please write to our political prisoners. Join the campaigns, right? From Matulu Shakur, Jalil Al-Amin, Mumia Abu-Jamal, right? Sundiata Akoli who was on that highway with Asada Shakur. Sunni Adekoli is already in his 80s. Ain't nobody in their 80s deserves to be, no one deserves to be in prison. Definitely nobody in their 80s. It's time that our people come home and we cannot forget them. And one of the greatest joys for me in doing this work is receiving those letters from those brothers behind the walls and them telling me that they're proud of all the work that we're doing and that that fuels them and that that keeps them alive, knowing that we still out here fighting and the hope that maybe they can come home. And so for this Black August, like every Black August, right? Do not forget our political prison in the spirit of George Jackson, the spirit of Jonathan Jackson, all those brothers. And we're coming up, right? 50 years of George being murdered, 50 years of the Attica Rebellion, September 9th in New Jersey, right? A two-week prison rebellion to fight for the rights of prisoners, right? When we're doing this work of abolition, because it's, it's, it's all the wave now. We're talking about abolishing the police, abolishing prison. Don't forget those brothers who paid a blood sacrifice. Yeah. The sisters who are also incarcerated, who are paying blood sacrifices on our behalf. Never forget them. And so when we think about the folks who are really paying, paying the ultimate price for us, it becomes very easy to find joy in the stuff that we do, right? And if what we do keeps them alive and keeps their spirits going, then, that, then, then we're winning then we're winning. And as long as their name's never forgotten and that struggle's never forgotten, then we still win. And we're going to keep fighting. And you got to remind ourselves of that. Yeah. Um, thank you so much, Hiram, for that call to action, right? Uh, for everybody who's listening and can still hear us, we put the link to the Jericho uh, movement and a lot of links in the chat. But, like, that's a commitment I'm making tonight. I'm going to write to the folks inside because Hiram's right. They've literally put it all out there for us, right? They've theorized it and they practiced it and, and, and died, right? And so that's a commitment I'm making. I hope other folks make that commitment tonight um, to, to really, to, to stay connected, never forget the folks inside and tangibly write, write to the folks inside. Um, we're at 701, our time. Write your family too, write your family. If you got family behind the walls, write them too. Don't forget them either. Write them too. Yes. Yes. Write for 
yeah, to the folks you personally know, as well as the political prisoners inside, because I've, I've never been inside, but like just reading some of it, it's isolating. Prisons are violent. And so keep the spirit. Prisons are also points of struggle, right? Yes. We've, we've seen the hunger strikes that have happened, right? Shout out to the, to the, to the uh, Free Alabama movement, right? And, and the other folks in the, in the South, in the prison in the South who are fighting the, the hunger strikes, the hunger strikers in Pennsylvania for the conditions, right? Just because you're behind the walls doesn't mean that you can't change your life, that you can't politicize yourself and that you can't fight for, for, for liberation, right? August 21st, for all of those who are in the Washington DC area, there's a rally. It is the, uh, the shut them down demonstrations that are happening across the country, right? To elevate the, the, the struggles of all those men and women behind the walls, right? And, and, and gender non-conforming folks who are behind the walls, right? Um, who continue to fight with us, right? And, and fight for the same liberation that we're fighting. So August 21st in DC, and it also centers our political prisons because we want to bring them home and we want to bring everybody home, right? We are not free until everyone is free, right? Um, and until this devil empire is sent back to the hell that it crawled out of, right? Um, that's what we're going to keep committing to. And that's what Black August is all about, committing to that struggle and, and, and keep fighting. Yeah, I'm just going to wrap us very quickly. Um, for folks who enjoyed this conversation, we're having another conversation. I'm so lucky these days to like chat with folks, um, dope, dope, really dope folks. We're going to be having a, a conversation with the folks from the Brave Green Wave. They're doing a thing. They're doing like, right, we've asked for cooperative housing. They're in the process of, of, of um, restoring a house. They have a house and just really, again, chatting about um, what, what that means. And so I'm super excited. That's going to be next week, Tuesday. Um, at 6 p.m. We're going to be streaming from the Brave Green Waves Facebook um, page. Follow them if you haven't. Like dope Black um, women, gender nonconforming folks leading this work, queer folks leading this work. And I'm like super excited to support that as well um, next week, Tuesday. To Hiram, I want to thank you so much for joining us um, for for an extraordinary conversation. Um, thank you for all the work you do and, and can't wait to connect again. Thank, thank, thank you to the African American Roundtable, man. It has been such an honor and, and, and I'll say that loosely. I mean, I mean it from the bottom of my heart. Uh, the work that you all have done in, in Milwaukee um, and when I first came in contact, especially with the sister Marquesa, who I ride for, for, for Marquesa, so I put that out there nationally, right? Marquesa got people in Philadelphia don't mess with Marquesa. I mean, you all, the work that you all are doing is incredible. Um, the work that the brother David Muhammad in Milwaukee is doing, that Reggie Moore is doing in Milwaukee. Um, Milwaukee doesn't get enough props, uh, the props that it deserves for the work that is, is doing and inspiring folks around the country. And so I wanna say that publicly and let you all know um, that, that we see you, we appreciate you, we learn from you and to continue to see the political growth and the organizing growth of the organization. I mean, it's something that gives me so much joy um, to see and it definitely rejuvenates me and inspires me. And so thank you all for having me and, and, and for doing the work that you do. And shout out to the Bucks. Yeah, very, very happy. Uh, thank you so much. Everybody tuned in. Have a wonderful rest of the evening um, and see you Tuesday. I can't wait. Thank read you. for now, read for now. Read for now, read it, yes. Thank you. Abolish MKE. News and analysis from a bad place.
We work to publish and promote anti-authoritarian and abolitionist interventions in the so-called state of Wisconsin. Please do not hesitate to contact us with any questions. Abolish MKE at protonmail.com.